Welcome to Civil War Talk Radio with host Jerry Prokopovich. Our program covers all aspects of Civil War history, from the battlefields to the home fronts, and features guest experts, plus insight from your host as they discuss the most critical period in American history. Now, here is your host, Jerry Prokopovich. This is Jerry Prokopovich with Civil War Talk Radio. Since you are listening to this show, you've probably read enough Civil War history to regard the fact that 200,000 African Americans served the United States Army and Navy during the war as common knowledge. Who doesn't know about the 54th Massachusetts at Fort Wagner or the Medals of Honor won at Newmarket Heights? The answer, unfortunately, is most people. Most sadly unaware of the role that African Americans played in the Civil War. But one who is keenly aware of that is Professor Deborah Willis, author of the new book, The Black Civil War Soldier, A Visual History of Conflict and Citizenship. It's a book that strikes a blow to try to rectify that ignorance, and we'll talk with her tonight on Civil War Talk Radio. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio, voiceamerica.com. Voice America programs are now available on your favorite connected device, including Amazon, Alexa, and Google Home. Through streams with Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio, listening to your favorite show is as easy as saying the show name followed by the word podcast. Hey, Alexa. Play Finding Your Frequency podcast. If that doesn't work, try adding on TuneIn or on iHeartRadio or on Apple Podcasts. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Civil War Talk Radio. If you have a question or comment about our program, please send an email to prokopovichg at ecu dot edu. That's P-R-O-K-O-P-O-W-I-C-Z-G at ecu dot edu. Now, back to Civil War Talk Radio. Welcome to Civil War Talk Radio. I'm Jerry Prokopovich. Coming to you tonight from our traditional location, the third floor of the Brewster Building, on the campus of East Carolina University, but not speaking for the university or anyone else. And likewise, my guest will represent only herself with her opinions and facts delivered tonight. That's the way we always do here. It is the last Wednesday of the fall season of Civil War Talk Radio year what is it, 18 now? Uh, we've been going going for a while, and it's the end of the fall semester here at East Carolina University. It's December 8th. Uh, final exams coming up. Otherwise, uh, we're, we're done for the fall. It has been a great teaching semester, the first one back in the classroom since the pandemic struck, and uh, talked about it with a number of uh, colleagues, and there's a general feeling students were glad and professors were glad to be back in the classroom and to appreciate uh, not having to do everything uh, through the monitors for a change. So hopefully that'll continue into the new year. Uh, This being the end of the year, it also brings about the annual 
issue of the Civil War Monitor, a fine magazine that uh, can be the unpaid sponsor for tonight's program. They haven't sent me anything except a copy, but I'll, I'll mention them anyway, because they do an annual Best Books article, uh, and it just came out this, this week. And I uh, was, was uh, happy to be invited to share my opinions as to the best books of the past year. And every time I do this, I'm always nervous when I open the copy because I think, what if the books I chose uh, are not on anyone else's list? They all think they all found much better books uh, that I didn't recognize. Am I an outlier? And I will say it was a relief this year to find out that was not the case. Uh, the book we discussed on this show just last week, uh, Carrie Janey's book, The uh, End, End of War, Ends of War, was uh, was chosen by uh, by me as the best book that I had read over the year, and uh, Kevin Levin, uh, who's been on the show before, writes about the myth of black Confederate soldiers. Uh, he chose the same book, uh, so that was very reassuring. And other people listed it as either their first choice or second choice or a book they were looking forward to reading uh, if they hadn't gotten to it yet. And likewise, second choices, many of us chose first or second choice. Uh, uh, Kent Masterson Brown's book, Mead at Gettysburg, A Study in Command. Uh, he was on the show a few uh, weeks ago, uh, just a wonderful book. And looking over this, um, uh, the article, it's interesting to see that most of the books people are talking about that they liked have, in fact, been subjects of discussion here on Civil War Talk Radio. Stephen Cushman... Uh, his book, uh, The General's Civil War, was there. John Madison's book on Fredericksburg, A Worse Place Than Hell, uh, all chosen by different uh, people as their, their choice for the number one book of 2021. It's a little awkward to do that article because we have to turn them in in September, and we haven't yet read all the books of the year. In fact, one of the questions the editor asks asks us is, what book are you most looking forward to reading that you haven't had gotten to yet. And my choice for that was the book we'll be talking about in a few minutes tonight, The Black Civil War Soldier uh, by Deborah Willis. But before we get to that, I cannot resist. uh, Well, actually, a couple things to bring you up to date on. One is uh, uh, what a good week our chancellor had here at ECU, hired a new provost. That is the highest academic officer at the university. Uh, she was, I think, a dean at North Carolina A&T uh, in a STEM discipline, engineering maybe, uh, really uh, hits a lot of the, the, the right things that ECU needs in a new, uh, new provost, and we're hoping that that will be a good hire. Our football coach signed on to renew his contract. He's doing well, and any time a coach does well at ECU, a bigger school comes and snaps him away, uh, so we're glad to get him locked in. And, of course, uh, my alma mater, the University of Michigan, had a a great week building on our uh, beatdown of Ohio State to win the Big Ten football championship. And uh, our coach, instead of being poached by another school, going somewhere where they offer more money, turned around and gave his postseason bonuses back to the university to give to athletic department employees who, who lost pay during the pandemic or lost hours or, or uh, had their, their salaries cut. He wanted them reimbursed out of his bonuses. 
So, uh, you know, good show to, to Coach Harbaugh there. Uh, speaking of helping others, many of you have generously contributed over the years to Civil War Talk Radio's book fund, which you can do at impedimentsofwar.org. Uh, this month, if you want to show appreciation for the show as the year ends and you think, how can I make things right over the past year, I know I'll support that show I listen to every week. But if you want to do that without encouraging my profligate spending on books, or maybe you like the show but you're an Ohio State fan, you just don't want to give me anything else to feel good about this year, uh, please consider going to the Impediments of War Facebook page and uh, I posted there an opportunity for you to contribute to the Cincinnati Children's Hospital Research uh, Fundraiser. They're doing some research on some extremely rare disorders, one of which uh, affects my nephew, Michael, who is 12 years old. Uh, you can read about him in the, the bit that I posted there. And if you're at all inclined, uh, please feel free to donate to that cause, uh, help him out and others who are in his situation. And, of course, while you're at Impediments of War, either the website.org or the Facebook page, you can find out who's going to be on the show next. And, of course, you'll find there won't be a show next week. It's winter break. Uh, I'll be recharging batteries, inviting new guests, and we'll take a few weeks off from live shows and come back in the year 2022. January 12th will be the first show of the new season, and... Uh, Frank O'Reilly will be our guest. He's the author of uh, a classic work on the Fredericksburg campaign called Winter War on the Rappahannock. Uh, that you'll see other, we'll list other future shows uh, coming up shortly on impediments of war, but that's who we have uh, up so far. And uh, we'll leave it at that. Hope everyone has a, a great holiday season. And turn to uh, tonight's guest. Uh, tonight we'll be talking with uh, Deborah Willis. She is the university professor and chair of the Department of Photography and Imaging at the Tisch School of the Arts at New York University. Uh, she is a MacArthur and Guggenheim Fellow, uh, author of many publications, among them Reflections in Black, A History of Black Photographers, 1840 to the Present, and uh, co-author of Envisioning Emancipation, Black Americans and the End of Slavery. Her newest book that I just mentioned uh, was in the running for a National Book Award this year. It's called The Black Civil War Soldier, A Visual History of Conflict and Citizenship. Uh, Professor Willis, are you there? Yes, yes. Thank you for the invitation to share my research and Wonderful listening to your introduction to all of the work that you're doing, as well as learning more about Eastern Carolina. <laughs> well, oh, it's it, it's East Carolina, not East. There, oh, there's East? a Western. Okay. Yeah, there's Western Carolina University, and we mm -hmm. are East mm -hmm. Carolina, as if we were a separate okay, state. Okay, East Carolina. Okay. <laughs> it, it's how we tell East the uh, visitors. My yes. My apologies. <laughs> not not at all. Mm -hmm. um, well, I, I'm. Delighted to have you on the show. Let me ask, uh, have you, were you teaching this past semester and uh, online yes, or face-to-face? Yes, -to -face? I, I taught today. <laughs> I just finished uh, at 5.45, so exhausted. But, oh, dear. But we were in, in the classroom, yes. Well, the, the folks, uh, the other colleagues I've talked to on this show have said their students were 
remarkably engaged this semester, as if they were glad to be back in the in, in face-to-face. How was your experience? I had the same experience. They were engaged. They wanted a lot of attention mm-hmm. <laughs> and, um, and, and wanted a response. They really, and we all wore masks um, the entire right. semester, so it was safe in that way. Mm-hmm. Um, we had to reorient ourselves to um, no water, no food on the, on the campus, um, on mm-hmm. the floor in terms of that. But we, it was a, it was a wonderful communal experience because the engagement of the students, they, some were frustrated about the past year, but mm-hmm. they were engaged in, in new stories and, and sharing their work. And that was really encouraging for me. I'm glad to hear that. It, it's, it, I, I hope it carries over for all of us into the next semester. Yeah. So you, uh, you are, as I said in the introduction, chair of the Department of Photography and Imaging. You're a, an artist yourself, uh, as mm-hmm. well as a, a published authority on these matters. What brought you to writing about uh, the Civil War as a historical topic? I have been interested. Um, I also teach in the College of Arts and Sciences a a class entitled The Black Body and the Lens. I've always interested in how um, images of and stories about black people have been have been distorted or limited. I wanted to tell a broader story based on uh, my interest in photography and the aspect of working with Barbara Krauthammer on the book Envisioning Emancipation in 2013. Mm -hmm. When I started my research on uh, black photographers way back in the 1970s as an undergraduate student and then continued the work into the 80s and 90s, I found images of black Civil War soldiers. I, when I was an undergraduate student or when I was in high school, I'd never heard about Black Civil War soldiers. And I wanted to see um, more images, and I decided to research um, the written text and the opportunity to work at the Schomburg Center for Research in Black Culture, as well as working at the Smithsonian. I met a number of collectors. Um, and one, Bill Gladstone, was one of them, and they he showed images and he shared images that I wanted to purchase when I worked at Schomburg, but then later um, at the Smithsonian, and then I was really pleased that the Library of Congress was able to purchase them. And having an opportunity to see the images, to retell the story, I wanted to explore not only the text, the images and tie in a story about the personal and the public and the political aspect of, of these images. So in the, the introduction, the beginning of the book, you talk about listening to these images as opposed to just looking mm-hmm. at them. Um, what, mm-hmm. what do you mean? How does one listen to an image? Uh, you know, um, Tina Camp uh, coined that phrase and, and, and I totally understand what um, 
what she experienced and 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 finding a way um to look at images and have them speak back to you um so i wanted to i met collectors there is um a collector greg french in boston and he had a um project um that that shared with he shared with me these images that were so compelling that looking at the idea of dress um standing in front of a backdrop of you know civil war soldiers standing in front of a backdrop that they desired to um finding ways to, to understand that black people who were enslaved at that time or recently freed that they also saw themselves as citizens and standing in front of of an American flag. So when I think about the way that um, the American flag symbolized the sense of freedom for them, I began to hear their voices and their intimate experiences about choices that they made, choices to fight, choices to stand in front of a uh, backdrop that could identify a sense of self, and a sense of accomplishments in their lives. And so when I think about listening, I, I feel, I felt that some of their choices and their posing, opposed images revealed another element or a, another way of reading an image. Now, a lot of the images uh, in this book, I've, found uh, were unfamiliar to me. They, 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 you list where they're from. Some are from private collections that I, I don't know if they've been published before or not, but I'd not come across them. And that really uh, makes this a powerful book that you're, you're seeing these faces for the first time. Uh, I want to ask more about where these come from and, and talk a bit about the technology of uh, the reproduction, both in the book and of the original images. But we have to take a short break first, so we'll do that. We'll come right back. We're talking tonight with Deborah Willis. She's the author of The Black Civil War Soldier, A Visual History of Conflict and Citizenship. I'm Jerry Prokopovich, and this is Civil War Talk Radio. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in your brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com Psych Up Live with host Dr. Suzanne Phillips offers a psychological perspective on coping with common and current life issues. This show addresses topics as varied as marital stress, insomnia, depression, raising teens, campus violence, and building self-resilience. Listen in as Dr. Phillips and her guest experts share the latest in books, findings, and information that will inform and enhance your life journey. Psych Up Live is heard every Thursday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Today, many doctors prescribe basic pharmaceuticals to their patients who aren't feeling well or have various aches or pains. Is this the right course of action for all patients? We don't think so. Find out about healthy, natural ways to help you feel your best by tuning in to the CBD Ed Show with host Ed Cheney. Ed and his guests will explain full-spectrum CBD, using the whole hemp plant for good health and answer all of your questions about CBD and natural treatment in general. Listen Fridays at 11 a.m. Pacific. Pacific Time, 2 p.m. Eastern, on Voice America Variety. Streaming live, the leader in Internet talk radio. 
VoiceAmerica.com. You are listening to Civil War Talk Radio. If you have a question or comment about our program, please send an email to prokopovichg at ecu dot edu. That's P-R-O-K-O-P-O-W-I-C-Z-G at E-C-U dot E-D-U. Now, back to Civil War Talk Radio. And welcome back to Civil War Talk Radio. I'm Jerry Prokopovich, talking tonight with Deborah Willis, author of The Black Civil War Soldier, A Visual History of Conflict and Citizenship. Uh, it is a book that is centered around photographic images of African-Americans from the Civil War era, many of which uh, I had not seen before. And, uh, Deborah, that was my question uh, we left off with. Uh, Are are some of these being published for the first time? Some of them are, definitely. Some of them are published for the first time, such as an album that was in the National Museum of African-American History and Culture at the Smithsonian, a private... um, family, um, the, the, um, the Garrison family, offered an album, um, leather-bound, with carte de visite uh, Im- images that were part of the 54th. There were images that were men who were identified, some unide- unidentified, but all of them were photographed by photographer John Ritchie, who was a new name for me um, in terms of knowing um, the names of many photographers. He was unfamiliar to me. But the album was private. It's gold leaf around the edge, um, the pages, you know, decorated um, photographic images with um, just wonderful ways of the way um, the author of the album, who created the album, wrote their experiences about some of the soldiers, their names, and what role they played during the war, but also private collectors, uh, as I mentioned before, um, were um, um, in New York as well as in Boston and other places who also understood my interest in photography and decided to listen to me (laughs) as I Mm. requested some of the images that I wanted to know more about the men and women. I wanted to know more about women as well, because I I read um, Hattie McDaniel's um, biography by Jill Watt. I had no idea that her father also was a Civil War soldier. She had a photograph of her father who attempted to... Uh, who attempted to um, try to get his pension, the family did, during his lifetime and was un- unable to. So I decided to also look at pension records. And so within the National Archives, there were photographs in the pension records that were um, in the request of uh, the files where families requested um, funds and the pen- pensions of their family members. So the range of places that I found images with the Bloxham Collection at Temple University, of course, here at the New York Public Library in the Schomburg Center. But Yale University um, and the Beinecke Library had um, an amazing collection. The albums of lieutenants and captains who um, were head of the black troops also made images that they wrote about some of the men and women in within their troops. 
So the range were from public and private collections to um, the Library of Congress, which was just a jewel and a, and a gem to work mm. through and to be a part of that research. So this is just a, asking you for a guess here. Do you think this represents the a tip of an iceberg, that there are lots of other such photos in private collections? Or oh, yes. do you have a sense that you've No, it mind? is a tip. You know, there were places that I, I traveled to um, the Civil War Museum in, in, in Richmond. I traveled mm-hmm. to the collections down in, in Louisiana. And I, it, I, if I had the funds and the time, I, would have, mm-hmm. I could have incorporated uh, a number of images, included a number of images in terms of the way that these individual men and women who decided to pose for these, for the photographers, understood that these collections, these photographs were, as I often say, these photographs weren't made for that moment. They were also made for the future. And they believed that there was a black future for them with, um, in terms of equality. And, and that's where I look at these images when I travel different places and families who donated of the photographs to the archives and to the libraries or whatever repositories in the South as well as in the Midwest, they um, understood the importance of what it meant to preserve memory through the photographic uh, medium. Now, much of your past work is focused on black women and issues of gender. Uh, when I first saw the title of this book, I, I was prepared to, my notes said, ask why why switch to a male-centered portion of history, but the book is not limited to, to black men. Um, you you tell a, 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 you know, a multifaceted story here of, of, of families and, and uh, uh, include pictures of, of women from the Civil War era as well. Was that always part yeah. of the, the plan? Yes, it was part of the plan, personally, because um, I thought about women who were cooks and um, spies and how women maneuvered um, through the war, who were washerwomen, who were essential to teaching um, white and black women, teaching black soldiers um, how to read and write, um, some of them who um, who were enslaved and, and who self-emancipated to when they found a Union um, troop walking through their um, fields or in the cities that they lived in, I felt that it was really important that the stories that women shared about their work in writing about the history of teaching, not only religion, but also math and, so, and, and how to sign their names. Uh, when I when I think about and I'm you know a big fan of of movies and popular culture, mm-hmm. Gone with the Wind, and I've I taught that movie for a number of years, and I and I started looking at the work of Hattie McDaniel's and the way that her role in that movie had been diminished. But when you look closely at that 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 movie, you see the work of she was a washerwoman for the Confederates. Um, and see the work of washerwomen and, and the way that their stories were imagined through in 1939 through that movie. But then I started to think about 
washerwomen and teachers and religious leaders in who were free and how they could also be a part of this. And then to think about um, the way that Cooks uh, sent messages to to the Union troops from the Confederate side. So the, mm-hmm. there, there were multiple ways that I wanted to consider how the role of the teacher, teachers such as Charlotte Fort, Fortin, who left Philadelphia, mm-hmm. to teach uh, newly freed children in South Carolina. And, and so when I thought about the missing narrative of, of black women and white women who were actively involved in this, and, and also the wives, I found images and letters of wives who sent notes to their husbands that, describing how they were mistreated, beaten, raped by um, men, who, um, the people who were left there um, because their husband left to fight for the Union um, Army. But the women wrote letters to their husbands. If they were dictated or uh, a scribe wrote it, it but they, the letters were in exchange to, to let their husbands knew, know how they were living and the conditions of their children. So there were so many stories that I found that the strength of women, the strength of families. And, and one mother wrote a letter to Abraham Lincoln, you know, just chastising him about, make sure you take care of my son. Um, I expect you to pay him equally for, um, you know, for the war because many black soldiers, they were paid less than white soldiers, mm-hmm. the Union soldiers. And so that's another narrative that uh, the strength of black mothers who understood what it meant to to take care of their sons and write to have the strength also to write to the president of the United States about that experience, about their experiences. Jonathan White has a book just out on uh, letters from African-Americans to Abraham Lincoln and Mm -hmm. uh, the the synergy of the scholarship here to tie that in with the the letters that you quote and the images that you have, as as you point out, of uh, women writing to their husbands or posing for pictures with them after the war, uh, it really brings, you know, into another dimension, uh, this visual aspect to be able to see these people. You do have a lot of, uh, we, we hear a lot of the voices of these the people that you're writing about here, uh, because you do quote a lot of letters, a lot of uh, primary documents, but you make the point early on, say in 1861, uh, how difficult it was for for black men to be allowed to serve. They, they weren't allowed to serve in the, the Union forces. And at the same time, there's a difficulty finding specific images identified with individual letter writers. So in many cases, you have illustrations of, of you know, photographs of people, uh, of one soldier, but a letter quoted from, you know, another source, uh, because obviously it's impossible to find a match sometimes. Uh, did that occur to you as a strategy to try to, to for the two to reinforce each other, even though they're not literally from the same person? Yes, I think that they, they represented the experiences mm-hmm. of the letter writers, some of the photographs. And I, I found it important that it was that their stories were iconic and the posing of some of the men and women uh, represented the stories, such as um, the dress 
what it meant mm-hmm. to have a, a children, why they were fighting for the freedom for their children, the aspect of when um, the tattered clothing that men who entered the war and what they wore um, when they placed when they wore the the Union uniform. Um, the sense of presence changed, and even though there were other people who who wrote about their experiences um, in the newspapers, I just wanted to have the have the opportunity to to have the reader imagine the figure in the photograph as the mm-hmm. author of the um, of the person who wrote the letter. Let me ask it. That- technological question that occurred to me while I was reading this over the past week. I saw a commercial on TV for a new uh, phone and camera, and the the commercial made the point that this camera was more sensitive to skin tone and mm-hmm. uh, echoed, it didn't say, but implied, the, 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 as, as scholars know, the black and white film technology uh, often washes out dark skin tones and, and doesn't mm-hmm. pick up detail and it is some would say inherently uh, race focused mm-hmm. did how how did that play into the the either the the number of images of African Americans recorded during the war or the quality of the images did, did was that a factor in some some of this the, the technology of no, black and you, white reproduction no because um the, the photographs during that time um, were sepia, se, you know, sepia tone, but they were also albumin prints. They weren't mm-hmm. necessarily black and white. They were um, metal prints. And mm-hmm. so the process is different from when Kodak created um, another um, process um, that also enhanced white skin um, and darkened the skin of, of black. Um, people, so we begin to think about how the 19th century process um, is much more sensitive to light, and and, and it's amazing the the range of skin tone in um, the images in this book, from the tin types to the daguerreotypes to the um, albumin prints, and so we begin to see um, not only the way that the photographer worked in collaboration, I, I strongly believe, with um, these uh, three men and women. Mm-hmm. Uh, they also enhanced the photograph by adding gold leaf to jewelry, um, rouge, um, or lipstick on, on the image. So I think that there was a sense of an artistry that many of the 19th century photographers not only saw themselves as businessmen, but also as artists. And they began to you know, sell their photographs to I, people I who could represent I'm, I'm, that. I'm, I'm paging through right now, and I'm, I'm just admiring what you're what you're observing. That the uh, the the shading, the the I, I don't know the technical terms. The the people just look alive. The the detail is very mm-hmm. clear. Uh, it, it's not washed out, and some of them are are. Colorized, I guess, is the modern term, uh, but hand-colored in some cases. Was that a mm-hmm. frequent practice? Yeah, that was a, a practice, and many um, many photographers um, hired um, artists, uh, painters, mm-hmm. to work with them. But um, and they also had their wives um, 
and tent and work with them as as assistants um, because they um, advertised that they hand colored and wanted to create a photograph that sparked a life in in the individual who was um, who posed for the image. So the um... you know one of the other aspects that I found yes. important is the. Civil War soldier, the the surgeons, that the the medical mm-hmm. team that I was unaware of, um, Jill Newmark, um, a curator at the at NIH, had an exhibition, um, and I learned so much from that exhibition that mm-hmm. uh, many of us were unfamiliar that of uh, black soldiers studied in Canada. Um, you know, they were, before they were soldiers, rather, they studied uh, medicine in Canada or in Iowa because they wanted to expand their practice um, in terms of the opportunities to work in different fields, not only in education or in religion, but they wanted to um, be doctors. And, and the opportunity to work as a doctor for the Civil War soldiers Many of them wrote to Abraham Lincoln and others at that time to say that they were available to take care of the black troops. And they understood segregation at that time. They understood racism at that time. But there were nine black doctors that I recognized during that time period through the work of Jill Newmark, who was also writing a book about about some of them. Well, that, that will be something we'll definitely look forward to reading. We're going to take another short break. We'll come back, talk more with our guest tonight, Deborah Willis, and discuss her book, The Black Civil War Soldier, A Visual History of Conflict and Citizenship. I'm Jerry Prokopovich. This is Civil War Talk Radio. Streaming live, the leader in internet talk radio. VoiceAmerica.com Tune in to the Voice America Variety Channel on the Voice America Talk Radio Network. Voice America Variety broadcasts a diverse array of topics reaching a global community. Our experts come from all walks of life and the topics they discuss are everything from current events, arts and entertainment, leadership, parenting, relationships, self-improvement, career advice, and a variety of other topics. Check us out today. You're sure to find something of interest. Voice America Variety. Talk on today's hot topics. Have you friended us on Facebook yet? Why not? Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for the keywords Voice America. Once you are part of our Facebook network, you'll receive daily messages about what's happening with our shows, this week's featured guests, and new happenings at the Voice America Talk Radio Network. And you can add your voice to the always active discussions on our timeline. Just go to Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for Voice America. Stimulating talk gets those synapses in the brain firing really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com You are listening to Civil War Talk Radio. If you have a question or comment about our program, please send an email to prokopovichg at ecu.edu. That's P-R-O-K-O-P-O-W-I-C-Z-G 
at ecu.edu. Now, back to Civil War Talk Radio. And welcome back to Civil War Talk Radio. I'm Jerry Prokopovich, talking with Deborah Willis, author of The Black Civil War Soldier, A Visual History of Conflict and Citizenship. Uh, this book is a just beautiful book physically. It's uh, the, the paper is that, that coded, glossy paper, so the photographs are reproduced beautifully on it. Uh, the, the, the images are all in full color. This, uh, what was it like, Deb, if I may ask, working with uh, NYU Press? Uh, did you know this was going to come out looking like this? Uh, maybe this is a standard mm-hmm. for, for art books, but... Uh, no, it, it, uh, it, it, it was so wonderful to see the press respect the photographic image. A lot of um, academic press and a lot of academic presses do not... Um, mm-hmm reproduce um, photographs as well as this one. Um, they, the coded stock of the paper, the designer was actively involved with understanding the importance of this, of this book. And it mm-hmm. felt as if the designer wanted to create a, a family album, you know, to create not from the 19th century to the 21st century. And, and also to have a memorial of it, because if it, when you look at the cover, it looks like that the designer etched a visual history in it, and and with with a with a chisel, mm-hmm. so you know on wood, and because the cover appears to have a wood frame, um, but also that they understood the image, and it was really impressive for me um, to see. A, um, see the press understand the history of photography so well, and the designer created this wonderful um, book. They, they they really did. It does look, as you say, like it as if it were an album itself. You open it, uh, and and then almost any page you turn to will have one of these illustrations, and the illustrations are not just of the the photographic image itself, but the setting that they're in, and often they're inside very ornate frames or, or albums that they've been put into. And it emphasizes to me the, the physicality of these these images. They're, they're both images and artifacts at the same time. Yeah. I, I, what, when yeah. I worked in a museum, we would classify images and artifacts separately, and then we'd come up with these 19th century you know, cartes de visite or daguerreotypes and say, well, these are both. The, these, the physical... Mm-hmm item is really important. Yes. It's important to also to note that the images are seen as objects, yes, mm-hmm. but also that the designer has the shadow of the image as if it was placed on the page and left the aspect of the shadow as, as if it was a shadow, and it's three-dimensional in, in, mm-hmm. in a sense. So that's another aspect of the way that the um, designer worked closely with um, understanding the importance of, of the image. I also wanted to include some of the pages of the letter, some of the handwritten uh, letters um, yes. at a time when they said black people couldn't write, that not all black people couldn't write, but <laughs> the fact that there were a number of black people who could write and could read. And the the script of a letter such as John Rapier or um, 
some of the other doctors who wrote about their experiences. I also included some of the, the white surgeons who taught mm-hmm. some of the, um, the um, troops and helped take care of some of the troops. And, that, and I thought it was really important to have their diary um, pages included within, uh, within the book because they, were, they understood the sensitivity of the bravery um, of some of the soldiers. And they wrote about their experiences in, in working with black troops for the first time. And, um, and and their response when they were chastised by other white colleagues, why are you working with them? And, and many of these uh, white lieutenants and, and captains wrote their own books um, about the experience of working with um, black troops. And I thought that that was another way to also consider the humanity of these images and the sense of humanity that um, men, um, both black and white, felt about this experience at the time. The the album that you have in here of soldiers from the 54th Massachusetts includes uh, images of units Colonel Robert Gould Shaw, and you quote his letters. Uh, he, he writes home how he, he would like his regiment to be assigned to an otherwise white brigade so the white troops could see how good his men were. Uh, mm-hmm. And and this idea, uh, as you say, of, of these uh, soldiers, both white and black, being very conscious of their their role, the the symbolism, the importance uh, that that the whole nation could draw from seeing them is is really comes through uh, in this. Let me ask a sort of an unfair question: uh, Do you have a a favorite among the images in this book? Yeah, it is an unfair question, <laughs> but, but there there is um, there's an image of of a soldier who's unidentified, and it's on page one eighty two, and um, it's in the Library of Congress, and it's in a it's an encased image. It's an ambrotype, so it's early mm-hmm. in terms of the process, but the way that the soldier is seated in the chair that that the fact that the photographer hand tinted the blue pants right he's holding his cap but his pose is, is a reflective pose it's not a sadness it just appears that he is in deep thought and possibly about his future and um, i just think it says mm. so much to me about that experience of of the time. You know, some of the images are direct poses where, mm-hmm. you know, kind of dandy looking young, like on page 184, a dandy looking Rhode Island soldier just looking into um, wearing a, a overcoat and they're looking directly into the camera. But to see um, the image on 182, um, I feel the pain. I feel wow. his, his sense of, of manhood and and also you know the experience of his mortality yeah that that is a wonderful image i'm looking at it as well listeners you'll you'll have to get the book to look at it but you won't be sorry you did the the hand tinted uh, blue trousers i it looks like the buttons may be slightly tinted gold or else they're just showing up yeah. really well but the the no it looks like it, they added to it yes 
and it just pops off the page. And as you say, by by not looking into the camera, this thoughtful pose, uh, just just a wonderful uh, image that can tell us a lot about uh, this soldier's own experience. One of the and things, that's what I when I think about the yes. listening to image, I felt that this <laughs> photograph to me, I listened to. <laughs> yeah. You know? Yeah. Now, one as we get near the end of the book, uh, you bring the story uh, to the end of the war, 1865 and 1866. Uh, you have some wonderful photographs of veterans, uh, the people marching in parades after the war, and uh, the sense that this doesn't simply end in April 1865. Uh, and perhaps more important, you, you also carry the story uh, to the present in terms of how uh, memorialization and imagery are being used today or have been used since the 1860s. Uh, what are your thoughts on, on where we can go with with continuing to tell this story? I am um, the aspect of, I know a lot of people talk about memorials, you know, oh. I believe that, that we need more memorials. And I think if there is a balance of the memorials of the black Civil War soldiers, the the battle um, would be um, evenly um, distributed. The, the stories, I mean, the, the lack of education of, of people knowing about the experience of black Civil War soldiers, not only the North and the South, but we really needed to tell a, a broader story. Everyone says that the South won the narrative but the North won the war. And if we could have changed the narrative, the role that African-Americans played in um, the role for freedom, in the belief of identity and self and, and the whole aspect of that history, it would be a different time. And I think the lack of education across the board has a lot to do with um, these stories. And what I wanted to incorporate the images of contemporary artists who also are going into public archives and family collections to retell the stories that have been lost in history. Um, the 54th, we know, um, but we're also going back to that story often because Glory was one movie that I um, looked um, and viewed in, in, I guess, the 90s. Mm-hmm. Um, but also images that are part of that story and, and Robert Gould Shaw's uh, story was an important story. A, a young man who was recently married who was, you know, had to represent heroism, <laughs> you know, based on the fact that he was um, a son of, of a significant, significant person in, in the Boston area. But just to think about you know, what he had to give up and his family. And so anyway, there's so many, you know, personal stories. And if, if more people had an opportunity to read about Sergeant Carney um, and others such as, uh, as Robert Goldshaw, we would have um, the battle. I don't think we would have the battles today. Just, just the belief that, you know, the, That's the experiences. Shaw, you mentioned, you know, it was, of course, memorialized in in Boston, the great memorial there with the regiment and and the officer on horseback. Uh, And people are familiar 
with that, at least those who follow the Civil War. Uh, but in terms of numbers, the, the vastly larger number of uh, Confederate memorials and, and white United States memorials uh, does lead to this imbalance in the public mind of who actually participated in the war. Uh, it, I, I wonder if there are other ways... To, to change that balance. This is starting a whole new conversation as we get to the last few minutes. I don't want to <laughs> go too far off, off track. I'm thinking if, if physical memorials or if uh, the virtual world is, is the place to go with that. But let me, let me just ask a different question because that will get us into another hour, which alas we don't have. Uh, do you, what, what's your next project? Are you going to follow this track in some way or are you doing something uh, different with photography and, and uh, historic evidence? What, 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 what are you working on? I'm, I'm looking at the, the next project I'm working on. It, it's following this and, mm-hmm. and looking closely at women who mm. were part of the war. And I want to, I, you know, I found, image, I found a number of, of letters of white women and uh, who were part of writing their stories and sharing the experiences. I wanted to take time to find um, images that relate to women and stories that relate to black women and girls um, during that time. And I think it's really important that this narrative, I think fashion was mm-hmm. uh, another way of looking at the clothed body I want to talk about the aspect of the clothed body because it's always the tattered clothes story about um, African-Americans. So I want to, to kind of explore the idea of how dress and how compelling it is to talk about dress as respectability um, mm-hmm. and why it was so important for, you know, black women who were seamstress who also created dolls for their, for their girls, for their children and so that's the story I'm looking for that enhanced this experience of the Civil War in the 19th century by looking at the images of women and their stories. And, and that's the other project that I'm working on. Well, that sounds very promising and interesting. We'll look forward to seeing that when it comes out. In the meantime, listeners, uh, you will be impressed, as I was, with The Black Civil War Soldier, A Visual History of Conflict and Citizenship, by our guest tonight, Deborah Willis. Deb, thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you for the invitation. I really enjoyed the experience. And listeners, as always, thank you for listening to Civil War Talk Radio. Thank you for embarking on a part of American history this week. Civil War Talk Radio with Jerry Prokopovich can be heard live every Wednesday at 4 p.m. Pacific Time, 7 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Have a good week.